Welcome to Forward Filmmaker, a podcast from FilmHub. I'm Max Sanders. You may know me from my podcast, Buzz in the Tower, where I discuss my favorite 80s films. But this one is different. The film industry is changing, and filmmakers must adapt. On Forward Filmmaker, we'll be talking with directors and producers about the pains and opportunities facing the modern filmmaker. Ryan Bayless is an award-winning New York-based director of feature films, docs, and short-form web content like The Really Cool Show, an early YouTube web series with over 20 million views. As creative director for the Bayless Brothers Production Company, he has a mastery of visual beauty in his work. Trained as an actor, he focuses on creating deep emotional resonance, whether it's in wild fictional stories or in true-to-life documentaries. His work often focuses on daily existence and complicated emotions, as evidenced in his trilogy of films, Ice Saints, Our House for the Weekend, and XXX, which star him and his former romantic partner, Dee Herlihy. Ryan also has an upcoming project with Adrian Grenier about restoring a Brooklyn brownstone for Adrian's mother. Today, we'll be talking about how he approaches his work to make audiences feel. This podcast is brought to you by FilmHub, the number one film distribution platform. Join thousands of filmmakers who are keeping their rights and getting paid on time. Submit your film today at filmhub.com and have it streamed on Amazon Prime Video, IMDb TV, Tubi, the Roku Channel, Plex, and dozens more. Now, real quickly, is it all right if I have a little whiskey while we're doing this? Absolutely. What are you drinking, buddy? This is Eagle Rare. My brother and I are traveling tonight for a shoot, and so we just drove four hours in just like western New York, so you need to take the edge off. But. <laughs> all right, let's get this started. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is great. Oh, I'm so excited. As a mid-30s, over-an-emotional guy, you know, I feel seen by you. So Good. Well, I, uh, I'm trying to see you. so your films are just brimming with emotional depth whether it's focusing on your own wedding Mm -hmm. nice saints or doing an in-depth biopic on a fellow creative and good monsters Mm -hmm. we're going to get into how you pull that transference off but first can you talk about why vulnerability is such an important theme for you and your work yeah sure i mean i I started off uh as an actor i went to acting school and i spent two years sort of trying to dig into myself Uh, and i've always done that i've always been sort of an emotive i was an emotive kid uh i always wrote songs i wrote poems i was just very uh expressive and so acting school i spent a lot of time really really digging in and making the work personal that's sort of what you do as an actor is just always trying to make it personal and so that really transferred over into the films i was making as well of taking a really personal approach and just trying to i have a low tolerance for bs in order for the work to feel honest to me it needed to be raw and it needed to be uh vulnerable and and uh that meant tapping into whatever emotional world needed to be tapped into yeah you feel it in all your films i mean you generate all these feelings from like lingering shots well-placed music and improvised dialogue like where did you learn those techniques and why are they so important to you outside of acting school obviously the music has just been a lifelong uh, love affair for me. Uh, oftentimes, that's where I'm doing my thinking. I, mean, I go for lots of walks. Music allows me to sort of like uh, have lingering thoughts, and that's sort of where ideas come from to begin with. So music's already just like intricate to the process. Uh, and then as far as like sort of the lingering shots is kind of an amazing uh, way to put it. I, they're long, slow shots, uh, <laughs> oft, oft, oftentimes. Um, for me, it's just like wanting to live in a performance a little bit. Like I said, I, I really... And performance driven, uh, that's where that's my background. That's what I want to see. And so for me, it, part of it is uh, uh, if I'm 
able to achieve the films I want to achieve in the time frame and the budget, I have to do them efficiently. Uh, uh, additionally, if they're improvised, I need to. I can I can shoot lots of coverage and make it work, lightning in a bottle style. But mm-hmm. oftentimes, that like long lingering shot allows me to kind of like live in the moment, see it happen, and then kind of build an arc out of it. So, uh, yeah, I just think that's the that to me feels the realest. It feels the rawest, and so that's sort of been what I've leaned into from a cinematography standpoint, at least for you know a lot of the early work. So when you see those shots where you kind of take your time, do you feel that presence of being in the now or are you overthinking kind of all the aspects of it? Do you lose yourself? Uh, <laughs> sometimes. I love to lose myself. I mean, I uh, was shooting a film this summer. I uh, I started crying in the middle of shooting. I was rolling the camera and I started crying. That's never happened before. But it was this very cathartic scene where they were burying some ashes and I don't know, something about it just got me. But uh, I can lose myself. I think it's important to like let things go a little longer than they should because I can always cut back. I know that I'm an editor uh, as well. So I I'm aware of, of the potential, I suppose. So, but I am, I am very, I am often thinking about the technical aspects to what we're doing. And I am sort of like kind of at the edge of my seat uh, as something progresses, just because, you know, I've learned to like squeeze my hands and rub my thumbs together. It's just uh, because, you know, I, especially when something's really going well, you're like, what's going to break this? And then oftentimes when something does break it, you're like, thank you. I'm mm. so glad that happened. <laughs> well, you have so many diverse projects, even though you really have this underlying theme of emotion. I looked on your IMDb. You've, you, sometimes you do 10 to 12 jobs a year. Like, <laughs> how do you choose what to focus on? Yeah, I don't. I don't really know. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm clinically ADHD, mm-hmm. uh, which suddenly is having a moment in the sun, which I don't know feels sort of validating. But the reality is, it's my superpower. So uh, <laughs> being able to uh, hold a lot of ideas at once has helped me sort of. Um, achieve a, a certain amount of things at once. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm totally focused, uh, but it does mean that things are happening. If you if you watch me pack, like I, I can pack a lot of stuff, my gear, for example, for a shoot, uh, but it's going to take me a long time and it's going in all kinds of different boxes. I think that's sort of the way I manage projects as well, where it's like a little bit of love on this, a little bit of love on that. Uh, it all sort of makes itself work at some point. Uh, I think for me also, it's just like chasing your interest. Uh, I don't want to do stuff that's, uh, <laughs> this is going to sound uh, lazy, but overtaxing or torturous. Like I do want to, I do want to find joy in the work. So like I'll chase my interest and I see things through. I was talking to my brother about this today, but I hate to see a project not get across the finish line, like no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I see things through, but sometimes uh, there's it there's no straight line to the end of that project. It just sort of takes a while and you kind of got to follow the threads as they go. Didn't Good Monsters take you five years to, to film and uh, yeah. produce? Yeah, I think four or five years. I, I don't remember now exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was uh, really a long conversation that I had with my friend Eric uh, over several years. And we'd I, I often say this, but so much of that film... Uh, happened off camera as well. You know, it's uh, the dinners, the discussions, the walks, the talks, the traveling. Um, but I had spent, I guess, three or four years maybe in a row going to Indianapolis to play films at the Indie Film Fest, which they've just been really good to me over the years. And uh, I would always stay with Eric, who who lived there at the time. He lives in New York now. But uh, we would just sort of like have this ongoing conversation. So it was really natural. It didn't seem like, I got to get to this place. I got to get to this place. I did wrestle with the film. Like once 
we had sort of like got some stuff and I was like, I don't know what's here yet. I just got to give it time. Um, but there's a certain patience in that, a certain like, I guess, Zen approach to like, it will happen. Mm-hmm. And you just have to like live in it a little bit and, and life, life has to happen. You can't be, uh, always, always racing to the finish line. You know, I'm a, I'm definitely a big, uh, it's the journey, not the destination kind of person. Wasn't the first, uh, the first viewing of it, you're just like, I don't like this. I need to do something different. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I tried hard to make it. I wasn't sure. I wanted to make an art doc, a doc about an artist. Uh, and I was like, you know what? This isn't this. Uh, I was trying to tell it sort of in a, like a linear way of like, this happened and this happened, this happened. And it just didn't, it lacked heart. It didn't have the emotional world that we had built together. Uh, and so I thought, okay, I'm going to take this footage. I'm going to make a whole different movie. I had a, gro- a GoPro shot. Uh, from his car driving through Indianapolis. And I just put it in black and white and I added this like very weird sort of science fiction music. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, there it is. Mm-hmm. Like it had to, had to be weird. Eric, Eric's art is so, um, it's his, he, he calls them good monsters, but these like sort of positive weird creatures that don't quite fit in. And, I, and the movie needed to be reflective of that spirit and not of my idea of what an art doc was supposed to be. Right. Uh, you seem to associate a lot of your family sure. in your projects. Like you work closely with your brother, your podcast, the Bourbon Library, which for any Bourbon fan, awesome. Thank you. Has incorporated your father. Yes. Uh, can you tell us about your upbringing and how like your roots have really influenced you? Totally. Absolutely. Uh, I have young parents, which is kind of fun. Uh, my parents, uh, I went to, I was around when my dad went to college. So they got married when they were 18 and 19. Wow. My dad, my dad waited a little bit. Uh, they had me like two years later. Then he went to college. I was around for those are very formative years, like my very early years, um, living on like married student housing and having sort of all these cultural influences around. We were at uh, Purdue University. My dad's an engineer. And then uh, I grew up, yeah, so I grew up in the Midwest, sort of half half in Indiana, and then we moved to Michigan for sort of my high school years. Um, and, and that's played a big part in sort of who I am. My sort of DIY ethos comes from that. My, you know, you live in a small college town, you got to like make something happen or nothing's going to happen. You know, you had to look at the resources you had. And for me, it was my house. It was my parents. You know, I was putting plays on for them as a kid. I got my brothers to dress up and put on plays. Um, and then now as an adult, my brother and I work together, we make food commercials. Uh, and so we have a production company doing that and that's been wonderful. And the podcast, the bourbon library came out of, uh, the, it was sort of the most positive thing to come out of the quarantine where we were like, well, we want to have a whiskey with dad and it's a great way to talk every week. And we don't talk about anything else besides whiskey anyway with him. And so we just started recording those calls and it really came naturally. It was just like, all right. And it's like started to unfold into these really natural stories about growing up and that's sort of kind of how it's evolved. So kind of that improv feel that you have in all your movies. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's I would say it's like about being open to discovery in both the the documentary work and the podcast, but also the narrative work, like always being open to discovery to say like something can happen here. And I'm I'm not a proponent for just magic in the bottle because mm-hmm. I don't I don't necessarily believe in that approach. I think you have to inject something into it, uh, inject a certain energy, but I do think like if you are if you do that, then you need to also listen and be available to uh, to follow those things. Yeah, hearing your connection with your dad, it's interesting because it's like your buddies, but at the same time, he is definitely a father, capital F, period. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. 
No, he's a he's a very serious guy. Like yeah. I said, he's an engineer. And I, I wouldn't say that we were I don't know what we would talk about if we didn't talk about whiskey. Like whiskey was this gift that happened sort of randomly in the last decade where all of a sudden it was like, Oh, you like whiskey? I love whiskey. Now we're like we talk every week. Like that's never happened in my thirty mm, something years. <laughs> I love that. So let's talk about a different type of intimate relationship. You've shot a lot of sex scenes. <laughs> Transition from my dad. <laughs> Different types of intimate relationships. But yes, sir. <laughs> what have you learned about pulling these off most effectively? Because it seems like a very difficult balance that very few directors do nowadays. Sure. Well, I'll tie this in to, to the previous question because I do actually think it has an impact. I am lucky that my parents talked to me about sex growing up, mm -hmm. first of all, uh, because they had a, appeared to have a healthy relationship and continue to have a healthy relationship, I think, uh, TMI. But the fact is they talked to me about sex and sexuality, and that really gave me a space to like think about it without it being like this danger thing that you can't go near, can't touch, can't talk about. Uh, and so I've had, I would say, a positive outlook about sex growing up and as an adult. So that was the first sort of thing. Uh, as far as shooting sex scenes, it has been an evolving process, no doubt. Uh, I In the early days, I would say improv was such a big part of the process. We weren't surprising anybody with sex scenes, but the sex scenes were definitely still sort of improvised, sort of like less choreographed. And as I've progressed in my career, I've definitely... Uh, tighten the reins a lot on that process and, mm. and really sort of like talk through the choreography. And then that's, and, and that's partially because uh, for, for many reasons, safety uh, for as a responsible director, that's important, but also uh, understanding the impact of sexuality in storytelling and being able to create choreography or, or stuff that works for the visual language you're trying to create, you know? And so like both of those things have factored into that. I would say, as I say, I tighten the reins, but that's helped me immensely creatively with sex scenes. I would, I would say the best approach is sort of over communication, uh, transparency, mm -hmm. uh, and having, um, accountability, other people, producers, you know, if I'm going to shoot a film where there's uh, nudity involved, for example, and, and women are involved, more than likely, I'm not going to have other men in the room, especially if they don't have anything to do with the process. I try to do a closed set where it's just camera, maybe we'll rig the sound. And then I, I would prefer to have a female producer uh, or, or somebody in which there is a, um, I guess it's for accountability reasons for, for both people to feel like you the power dynamic isn't there because it, it, it's automatic, right? I'm the director. I'm, I'm the cinematographer. People want to... Uh, you know, they're just, people are, are not as easily going to say, hey, maybe I'm a little uncomfortable with that piece of choreography in this scene, or I'm not, it's not quite in click with me. They might not do that. But having an advocate uh, in the case of having a female producer in the room or somebody else that can advocate for, uh, you know, intimacy coordinators are a, a big thing now in the industry. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a huge, it's basically a choreographer for love scenes that advocate on behalf of the talent, on the, of the actors. Um and I don't necessarily have the budget for that, but that's something I'm very interested in. I actually think it streamlines the process a lot. Um, and I'm, I am hugely uh, collaborative mm -hmm. across the board, whether or not we're shooting a scene about uh, with sex or shooting someone uh, brushing their hair. You know what I mean? And so that uh, the process doesn't change that much for me. Um, I think sex scenes are a little more arduous and take more time because you want to tread more carefully just with the nature of, of uh, 
you're using your body. You know, it's it's a very physical, um, exhausting thing to do, and so you just sort of need to check in there. But my advice is to to over communicate, be super transparent, and just advocate on behalf of your talent. You know, even if you have what seem like barriers to the sort of like love scene you have in mind, that's actually a really interesting challenge because like okay, so we can't shoot from the shoulder down to through the torso for some reason. Like, okay, well, what, what, how else are we going to do this? Um, and what are ways that we can say, like, all right, we've seen a lot of love scenes. We've seen them from the male perspective, the sort of male gaze, right? And it's like, how do I... I'm, I am a heterosexual uh, white male uh, in, in cinema, and, and that is, like, uh, territory that's been uh, well covered, right? And so my challenge is to listen to everybody else and say, like, how can we challenge that perspective, that point of view? What can I do and how can I advocate on your behalf to tell a different story? Wow. And that's across the board, but that that is like what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about love scenes these days. Yeah, I was going to ask if you had any advice for filmmakers about these <laughs> sex scenes, but you literally just gave the blueprint. <laughs> so you don't seem to shy away from appearing in your projects when you're directing yeah. and you're in yeah. vulnerable ways like in our house for the weekend, showing that minor daily stresses, like losing a cat. Yeah. I was so stressed watching that. <laughs> when you're on screen, you're often physically and emotionally naked for the world to see. Like, yeah. what does that type of exposure feel like to you? Well, you know, I, I uh, for better or worse, I was naked in the very first film I ever made. And uh, because I was sort of asking other people to do it too, uh, for the scene. And uh, I felt this amazing sense of... Uh, relief. As an actor, you you spend all this time trying to break down the emotional walls, right? And uh, trying to uh, be real, be raw, present like, you know, you're not just saying lines, you're trying to present a human being. And so the first time I, I was naked on camera, that, that it was like, I have nothing I can hide. This is all me. This is like, I was like, so all I can do now is just be totally human. Um, and there was something freeing in that. Now, granted, you don't have to get naked to do that. I do think that, but it was like a good, I, once I understood what that feeling was and what it meant, like what that vulnerability felt like internally, then I could start tapping into it in other ways. Um, and so I also feel like if I'm going to ask anyone to, to be in these films, uh, and improvise, you know, I need to be able to come to the table and also make them deeply personal. And I expect that from everybody else. And I expect that from myself, um, I'm also my greatest resource, right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I make I make low budget, uh, independent films, uh, and especially in the quarantine, you know, my my latest film that's just come out XXX, like about my divorce. It was like we'd shot some scenes literally at the uh, beginning when we started to realize, oh no, our relationship's kind of falling apart, and then we shot the rest of it basically quarantined apart from one another, shooting these like solo private moments. But that's the film we had to make, and that was what we were filming while all that was actually happening. We couldn't escape the vulnerability. It had to be real. you know. That, and it's just like cracking into that and cracking into yourself is just something I value. You know, To me, it's, it's a, a cinematic value of mine. So do you think a movie like XXX, which was so personal and kind of so heavy, yeah. do you think you evolved to be, be able to make that movie? Could you have made that movie when you were younger? What did, what talk to me about your evolution as a filmmaker? Yeah, that's a great question. I I don't know that I could have made it when I was younger. I think I wanted to make it when I was younger. I mean, we had you know I, I sort of see it as the the trilogy in our our relationship. I'd made all these uh, films with my uh, former partner uh, Deirdre, and we had gone to acting school together, and we had come up making stuff at the same time, uh, and so we were each other's greatest resource, right? 
So we knew that we wanted to make stuff that felt real and vulnerable. And while things were really beautiful, we were when we were getting engaged, when we were getting married, we could like tell that story. Um, but that is sort of performative. Mm-hmm. And then our house for the weekend it was, I mean, it's sort of real circumstances. We were actually house sitting. We really did have a list of rules for the cat, and we turned that into a film. And so that was also sort of, sort of like easy to tap into because it was real. And then XXX also, unfortunately, real. And it was like uh, it took the circumstances to get us there, but we had been preparing to be vulnerable in that way uh, for a long time because our work just like called for it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that trilogy, when you lost the cat, I don't think I've ever been more stressed for 20 minutes in a movie. It was a, <laughs> it was just real it was a true threat. I just really enjoyed it. <laughs> so can you share a bit about your current projects? I'm just so interested in hearing about the one with Entourage star, Adrian Gunnier. <laughs> oh, Adrian. Of course. I'm uh, just releasing a documentary series, I guess, or project. It's, it's uh, called Mother is Design, starring Adrian Grenier. Uh, of entourage fame and uh, his mother as well is a, is a part of it. He built a house for her in Brooklyn that was highly made out of highly sustainable materials and meant, and he like re- not built, but renovated this old brownstone with the objective of it being super earth friendly. And so a couple of years ago, he, we had a mutual uh, connection. And so he asked, Hey, can you come by and kind of like document this process. So, so sure, my brother and I went there and we shot for a few days, kind of documented like the early construction. And then we sort of thought that was going to be it. Then it's like, hey, a couple months later, they're, they're going to put in the stairs. Can you come check that out? I'm like, yeah, okay, okay. And so then we ended up shooting for about three years off and on until recently the house was finished. Um, and then I actually don't know if anyone's living in it yet, but it's just, just this gorgeous, beautiful house they've made. Like, mm-hmm. It's aesthetically beautiful. And so the, then this, we cut this whole project into sort of a six-part short series that's being released on uh, on IGTV, on Instagram, through an account that he runs called Earthspeed. Um, so you can find it if you if you follow Adrian Grenier on any of the social medias. Um, but then Earthspeed is just is sort of going to be an ongoing project that he's doing, documenting his life, going kind of from sort of the celebrity lifestyle into a more earth centric lifestyle. And so our six part series is just sort of like the beginning. I'm excited. It's it's cool. I'm really proud of it. It was. Uh, for a guy who played like this humongous celebrity, he's actually a very down to earth guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the the celebrity part of some of the stuff just doesn't even feel that good to him. So that worked well in our process because it, the way we work is so natural, sort of fly on the wall uh, that it didn't we didn't fanboy over him or anything. It was just easy to uh, hang out and, and it helped partially that early in the early stages we had a night where we drink some tequila together. And I think that just sort of like bonded us in a way that was like, okay, this is going to be fine. Tequila can do that. <laughs> it has a way. So what piece of equipment do you find most critical to making your films look so great? Mm, the sunlight. Really? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I do use a lot of natural light. For someone who, I used to be sort of scared of studio lights. Now I'm not because I shoot in my studio all the time for food commercials. And uh, and I, I didn't, I wouldn't ever be cu- accused of overlighting uh, a film that I've been a cinematographer for, but uh, that partially that's because I love natural light. I think it's the most efficient uh, light to use, also on an independent film. But um, yeah, honestly, it's 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 uh, a, a uh, you know some sort of light 
that would be like, that's the most important tool to me and it's sunlight and it's, it's there at least 12 hours a day unless you're in the winter. Um, otherwise, I will say I'm shooting on a red Komodo now, which is like the most uh, affordable red camera. And it's been a pretty big game changer because I've, I, I wanted to shoot on red for so long and they were always big and heavy and required all these different pieces. And it just never felt like it was going to like lend itself. A, it's expensive and it was never going to lend itself to my approach. Mm-hmm. And in this case, the red Komodo, I can hold on my chest. Uh, I don't need a ton of stuff attached to it to really make it work. And so now I'm able to shoot in the natural way that I want to, but have this incredible sensor. I mean, this incredible like uh, image and color science. And uh, it's really a great piece of, of technology that's made uh, things a lot easier for independent cinematographers. Yeah, your stuff looks, I mean, it's unbelievable. The quality of the visual aspect of it really gets me every time. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I natural light plays so much into that. And I know a lot of people harp on it because... Really? You know, it's it, yeah, I mean it's, it feels good to show up to a set and have four big lights and have 800 people running around and you know, but I, I, I and sometimes I'll have to do that, but the reality is I'm happy with with the camera, a room with really great light and and then build the scene around the light that's there, the available light mm. because I think that's where the magic happens. I think those shots where you see the sun kind of dip in through the window or are soft on someone's face because it's going through a curtain. Yep. Like that's the stuff I'm looking for. I, I mean, I study light constantly. I'm always putting my hand into the air. I want to see how light is in different rooms. I like, I think there's ways to use warm, you know, lamp light even. Uh, so I, I study, I study light constantly. And I think that um, that's another thing I'm, I'm available for discovery, right? I want to be able to discover something and I, tr- and I can create it. Uh, certainly, especially as I get, uh, more skilled, more technically skilled as a cinematographer over the years, I can certainly make uh, a very beautiful light situation, but when you find it and when you see it to me, that's just better than anything else. So what's one piece of advice you wish someone had told you when you were shooting your first feature film? Uh, <laughs> some advice I wish someone told me was maybe don't be in your first feature film. I don't know. No, actually, that's not true. I was happy to be in my first feature film. I'm happy to be in all the films that I'm in, quite honestly. I, I think I would say don't worry so much about being uh, cool. Mm-hmm. Don't try to... I wanted acceptance from the cool kids for so long. There was like this Brooklyn film scene and like these hipsters making their mumblecore movies. And like, I really wanted acceptance in that group and I never really got it and I was hungry for it. And that's gross to me now. Uh, and also it, it, not that it affected me that much, but that it didn't allow me to fully work, uh, in my own lane, you know? And as I've gotten older and as I made more films, I've just gotten deeper and deeper into my own lane. And that's so much more rewarding creatively, emotionally, uh, and, and, and it actually, I think it benefits, it's benefits my career as well. Like the, uh, the more honest I am, the more I'm in my personal lane, the more I follow my own threads, the more successful the work is and the better my career has, has become. That's wonderful. So now we've, we've kind of gone in depth on you and how you make your audiences feel. Let's do something a little more fun. Mm-hmm. If you were to get one movie inspired tattoo, what would it be and why? <laughs> Well, I think it would be, I'm going to give you two, okay? I hope that's all right. Okay, that's fair. Um, one of them, I have a whale tattoo, uh, so it would be kind of cool to get a Jaws shark tattoo oh, nice. on the other arm. So I've got a big whale on one arm, 
Uh, a shark on the other would be pretty cool. That or I think I would get, and I know this is cheesy cinephile dork of me, but I would probably get uh, the shot from uh, Bergman's persona with the two ladies in the half face. Oh, yeah. I think that'd make a pretty cool tattoo. That's better than, I thought you were going to say like the movie reel. And I was like, ah, oh, don't do that. Oh, no, never. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the, I'm maybe the least cinephile movie uh, filmmaker that, that exists. I mean, I, I see lots of movies, but I'm not, I don't think I'm defined by loving movies as I'm, uh, I'm more defined by loving making films than watching them. Totally. So, Ryan, where can people find your work? Oh, man, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's on the internet. Uh, no, I would say the best place to watch my films, thank you, Film Hub, but uh, Tubi. Tubi's been an amazing platform. Uh, the, all the work is there and presented really, really beautifully. Uh, some of the work is also on Amazon Prime. Uh, you can also get it at the library at, at, uh, on Hoopla. Um, but uh, overall... I would say Tubi is the best place, the most beautiful place to see the films, and you can see all of them on there. Um, additionally, you can go to www.robelfilms.com. That's R-O-B-E-L films.com. Uh, that's sort of my original independent production company, and I've got lots of links there for stuff, uh, and some films are up there as well. Wonderful. So, I mean, I guess I'm going to look at your IMDb in three years and see another 100 movies. And we'll have to discuss <laughs> I hope all so. those. <laughs> yeah, I would love that. Now, I, I'm going to keep just making stuff at the... Quarantine slowed me down a little bit, but but uh, it also helped me refocus and refresh. And I'm so excited about making films uh, more now than ever. Uh, and I've got that DIY punk rock ethos driving me still, even as I'm uh, approaching my mid-30s into early middle age uh, you're good <laughs> yeah no i'm great yeah yeah fohawk's still there so i'm still rocking and rolling but <laughs> well ryan thank you so much thanks max this has been really fun i appreciate it man finding an audience can be the greatest challenge a filmmaker can face film hub is the answer to the distribution problems of the film community film hub has helped countless directors get their projects onto major streaming services so if you are finding the distribution side of filmmaking a frustrating battle let the number one film distribution platform do the heavy lifting for you. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review Ford Filmmaker on whatever podcast platform you're using. The smallest gesture makes a world of difference, and we so appreciate it. On the next episode of Ford Filmmaker, we'll be talking with Arizona-based filmmaker Jennifer Stein about chronicling UFO sightings and alien abductions.